Michelle, and I'm excited to welcome you to Putting Down Roots, a program highlighting creative individuals and organizations bringing something unique to Mendocino County through the arts, environmental practices, education, and beyond. Hi there, this is Phoenix Trent. I'm co-hosting with Michelle. Last month, we discussed local curiosities with Anne-Marie McKeating, the director of the Larry Spring Museum in Fort Bragg, and Mr. G and Chinchilla, owners of Triangle Tattoo, also in Fort Bragg. If you missed that show, you can find us on Spotify under KZYX Public Affairs, or you can go to the KZYX Jukebox page, and you can navigate to that at kzyx.org. Today, we're focusing on a topic that Mendocino County is renowned for, which is botanicals and plants. Our guests today are Molly Barker, Executive Director of the Mendocino Coast Botanical Gardens in Fort Bragg, Sage Anderson, owner of Ficus and Fern in Fort Bragg, as well as Carly Daniel of Wavelength Farm in Manchester. So we're gonna get started here uh, with Sage Anderson, our first guest, the owner of uh, Ficus Fern in Fort Bragg. Sage, thank you so, so much for joining us today. It's my pleasure, thanks for asking. Sage, can you start off by giving us some background on Ficus and Fern and what inspired you to start the shop? Sure. Well, I had been, for about 15 years, I've been an elementary and middle school teacher and I loved it, but it was also exhausting in a particular kind of a way. Um, and when I left, I wasn't quite sure what was gonna fill the void. And um, I just, I had a list of things I knew I wanted. I wanted to be my own boss. I wanted to eat when I wanted to, not when the bell rang. Um, and I wanted to do something creative and be a part of something, you know, that kind of helped our community. I didn't kind of know what that was, but in the meantime here, both my houseplant and my garden were houseplants and gardens were thriving and um, kind of it hit me that this thing that I love to spend my time on might actually be the answer to all those questions. And plus the houseplant thing was happening. I could tell from going to shops all over the state that people were buying them up like crazy. And I just thought maybe this is the, the way to go um, to be my own boss and to get to, I don't know, do something beautiful. And then I've been sort of interested in design my whole life. And anyway, just brought it all together to have a shop and, um, I kind of looked around at houseplant shops around the country that I liked and I liked the opportunity to bring life to people's homes, but also, you know, get local pottery perhaps and, you know, local makers and, and small businesses and support women-owned businesses and to sort of put a little mission in. And so after a lot of thinking and worrying, Ficus and Fern was born. <laughs> Unfortunately, we got the lease in February of 2020, which meant our opening in March of 2020 was... Um, scrapped pretty quickly. As you recall, there was a major pandemic. And um, so it's been this sort of like roller coaster of, of adapting. And I guess I got my wish for something really creative. We finally opened in April of 2020 and the town has totally embraced us. It's, it's been a joy. That's incredible. And what I find really unique about Ficus and Fern is one of my favorite, one of me and my fiance's favorite shops in Fort Bragg. It's so, it's so uniquely curated, you know? This is, this, nothing's random here. Every single item in your shop is hand chosen and, and, and there for a reason. And I love how you work with local makers and local, work with local artists. Like I bought this amazing air plant and you, it was um, salvaged woodworking wood, right? Yeah. So that I make the planters. It's so cool. Um, 
Yeah. And we know that the community is really important to you. Uh, can you tell us about how you're working with the community through Ficus and Fern? Sure. I mean, there's a couple of different ways. I mean, there's definitely some commerce happening, right? Like we have a plant of the month club. So, you know, even though, of course, I know tourists are a part of our economy, that's the kind of thing that you can really only do if you're going to be in town once a month, you know. Um, so we definitely have built community in that way. But the biggest way, I think, has been trying to figure out how to source as many of the things we sell here. Um, so, you know, I have some, I have a potter that you may all know called Lizzie Helbig, who makes beautiful pots for us. And um, I've worked with Fort Bragg carnivores. They have a, um, a, a nursery, you know, right in Fort Bragg of carnivorous plants. And um, I even have an exciting project with our very own Michelle coming up. She's making some uh, propagation stations for us. And so, so one big way is to try to make sure that local makers are represented um, and then I've also been doing various sorts of things like some um, in response to the Black Lives Matter kind of rebellions this summer, trying to do um, auctions and things that raise money. And so some of those things have been for bigger national organizations, but also trying to help folks locally. And anyway, it just I, of course, I want the store to be successful and to sell a lot of things, but um, there's no point in not also perhaps making sure it's a a community place. I've got some stools sitting right here. Hopefully people will get to come in and hang out for a long time and <laughs> soon. So it's just a place to talk. And um, I've got big plans for classes and things. I don't know, we can talk more about that if you'd like um, for ways to bring people together when we can. Yeah, the thing I really love about your shop is every time I come in, we end up just sitting and chatting and <laughs> Um, having a nice conversation, whether it's about plants or just in general about what's going on. And I know that you recently expanded and started hiring some employees so that you can potentially spend some more time chatting with people. <laughs> it's true. I am. Um, I, I, in part because of talking with you um, and a couple other friends, we began um, doing some work with local florists to you know, they've been devastated by the sort of lack of a wedding industry this last summer, but also some of the florists in town, both the growers and the arrangers, the designers are just incredible. And so I've been working with them to do bouquets on Sundays and Saturdays, those kinds of things. Um, and the thing about always being in the shop, while it's actually really fun to talk to people, it's also true that the kind of, I've been growing some of my own plants because another issue in plants is that they can be unsustainable if they're shipping, you know, in long distances and whatever. But, you know, that takes attention and time outside of the shop and, you know, going to people's farms or talking with makers that also requires a little bit of <laughs> getting out and about. So yeah, we're hiring both to be open more just so that people can come here more, but also so I can be kind of doing some of the behind the scenes things that make me happy. <laughs> That's amazing and exciting that you guys are expanding and growing. And can you talk a little bit more about the collaboration that you're going to have with um, local far, uh, flower growers? Yeah, I am. Um, I love flowers. I've done flowers for people's weddings and it feels like there's a lack of them around town. Like a, that's not true. There's tons of growers and, and, and florists. There's not a store, right? There's not a flower shop really. Um, and so I've been really trying to figure out how can we have more flowers at the shop? Um, and it occurred to me that, you know, there's growers and there's artists. And so I just was thought, okay, okay, okay. We have people like most of our sales happen on Saturdays. Let's make a, let's make a, I don't know, let's make a push. And so I talked with several 
folks, dahlias by the sea, forget me not flowers and willets. Um, let's see who else. Um, Evita, who is uh, a floral designer from um, an organ, her business is called um, Evelina Flowers. Anyway, several people um, to do one Saturday a month and end up with different bouquets, different kinds of flowers, different styles, um, so that people can bring flowers into their homes, but also know they're supporting local makers. And it's been pretty exciting. You know, I'm kind of, you know, Dahlia season doesn't really kick off until <laughs> July maybe August. So it's going to be a few, a few weeks still before it's always happening, but I'm pretty excited to, to have another reason for people to walk through and see what the bounty is in our little, our little County. And that's, I think when, when people are walking around downtown Fort Bragg, I, you, you can see it in their eyes. They're like, Whoa, <laughs> how is this here? And how have I never, never heard of it? Fort Bragg yeah. is such a, such a unique place. Um, Agreed. And, and the customers are always, I mean, it's not just my store, it's across Laurel Street and Franklin. There's just a lot of people who, I've been coming here for years. I didn't know you were here. You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, frankly, innovation happening on these, in these little towns. And because it, in addition to the things we're selling and the, hopefully the, the joy that we're bringing, there's also a bunch of mostly women-owned businesses, lots of parents owning businesses. And so a community is developing of people who are looking after each other also. I mean, the sort of mutual support from all these, you know, fellow parents talking about how they figured out how to do homeschooling with their kids so that they can keep their businesses open and those sorts of things have just also been really nourishing. So it's as much as how lovely our street is right now, it's also, I don't know, it's heart lovely. Everyone's really kind and really wonderful. And, and I feel it. Uh, totally. I think that's a kind of a silver lining of the pandemic is it's created, it's kind of forced small communities to become more resilient and interconnect okay. and work with each other and support each other. Um, what I other agree. plans for the future do you have around like maybe future workshops? Mm -hmm. um, what other ideas do you have? Well, I'm, I'm actually really excited about the idea of doing a couple of kinds of classes. I mean, in, obviously there are some real basic you know, houseplants 101, that could be really fun for folks who are interested but nervous. Um, but I also think people are really into interested in propagating their plants and then, you know, being able to give them to loved ones. Um, and I'm really excited to teach that. I actually have a kind of potentially a two class series on that. Um, I don't know, <laughs> beginning in advanced or something. Um, and also the folks I mentioned from Fort Bragg Carnivores are happy to come and talk about um, carnivores in the home. And so I think there's some kind of botanical things, but it also, I mean, one of the, the things that I, that I haven't quite figured out yet is just also how do we use first Friday to have people in here? Maybe it's a um, local wineries can share their stuff while we do like paint your own terracotta pots or something that's a little less, you know, <laughs> scientific or something, but really just fun for, for folks. I think the biggest issue is trying to figure out how to just get through this strange moment of social distance so we can just be together in loud crowded spaces again um, or seeing if we can find some new places to do things outside like perhaps we could do these workshops you know in local parks instead of in the shop and so those are some of the things I'm looking forward to for the summer and this fall kind of opening up our our classes. <laughs> and I think something you touched on which is um, one of the things that I'm always so impressed by when we do this show and just talking to local community members is the amount of support that 
you know, local business owners are giving to other local business owners or to artisans or to farmers, that there is such a sense of community and wanting to support each other. It is really, it is really lovely. There's a way that people have, whether it's driving from Willits just to help do a meeting about flowers or whether it's literally like taking out my garbage bin some days or, or whether it's sort of bigger conversations about like, what does it look like to to do business in a tourist town, but also really honor our local community. What are the debates or the questions? It's been really, it's been, it, I'm just so impressed with how thoughtful and sort of welcoming people have been about, about how to have a business in this town. Fort Bragg really is kicking butt right now. <laughs> um, just out of interest, what was the name of that carnivorous plants organization? I thought it, it's listener. called Fort Bragg, Fort Bragg Carnivores actually. Um, Brad Williams is the main grower. Um, they have a, so most carnivorous plants are sort of boggy. They like a really wet kind of saturated soil. And so they've set up this wonderful collection of like kiddie pools throughout and with soil in them um, in their property up Highway 20. And they're blooming right about now. And so it's just this glorious yeah. kind of bright greens and reds. It's the pitcher plants in particular are pretty stunning right now. Yeah. Can you tell our listeners about how they can learn more about ficus and fern and get more info? Um, we have a website. It's ficusandfernfb.com. And we have Instagram. This is annoying. Sorry about this. Ficus underscore and underscore fern. <laughs> uh, but that's us. <laughs> and there's lots of information about ours and, you know, kind of upcoming projects. And I know that, so I was actually part of the Plant of the Month Club, mm -hmm. which was amazing because to know that you're just going to get a plant every month, I would get mm -hmm. really excited when I got your, your email. And I have to say it was a really nice variety of plants. They came with a care sheet of how to take care of them. And so now you're going to be starting a new round of the Plan of the Month Club. So I would highly recommend it to anyone who wants to expand their collection of house plants. Yep, the, uh, the June plant is a little bit of, a, of an exciting one for people who like bigger plants that's going to grow on you. I'll just say that. Um, and you can definitely go to the website and buy them. Um, or by, join a member, buy a membership, or of course in the shop, we'll be happy to help you out. I know it's pretty fun. I don't even know what it's going to be every week. I sometimes wish I had joined because <laughs> you're getting some pretty cool stuff. Cool. Hey, thank you so, so much for joining us today. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much for including me. I can't wait to yeah. listen. We're really looking forward to seeing how the shop grows and upcoming workshops. And as you're able to enjoy being a shop you know, in post COVID and yeah, not in a pandemic. I know, what fun, I'm trying to think, are we gonna have a YouTube channel? Are we gonna become TikTokers? I don't know, man, you better look out. Could be fun. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Sage. And for folks who are tuning in now, you're listening to Putting Down Roots on KCYX. If you'd like to learn more about Ficus and Fern, uh, you can visit them online at www.ficusandfernfd.com. We're talking about botanicals with Molly Barker, executive director of the Mendocino Coast Botanical Gardens in Fort Bragg, Sage Anderson, owner of Ficus and Fern in Fort Bragg, and Carly Daniel of Wavelength Farm in Manchester. So now we'd like to introduce our next guest, Carly of Wavelength Farm in Manchester. 
Hi, Carly. Hi, how are you? Good. Thank you so much for being with us today. And so back in September, one of our first episodes, we had the pleasure of having Keelan on. And so we're really excited to have you on today to talk about the flower aspect of Wavelength. Yeah, thank you for having me. So can you start by telling us um, a little bit about Wavelength and how it was started for anyone who didn't hear our previous episode with Keelan? Um, yeah, definitely. Um, so I actually moved up to Mendocino County with my best friend, Kelsey, um, kind of on a whim and pretty unplanned, but with the intention and dream of being a part of a project like Wavelength. Um, I'm originally from Vermont and um, went to school for ecological agriculture and plant and soil science and um, grew up gardening with my mom and my sister and um, worked on some different farms and landscaping projects around Vermont. Um, so when I moved here, I felt um, equipped um, to share my knowledge and be a part of a project. Um, but like I said, didn't really have any plans or anything set in stone. So um, it was a really, really amazing um, opportunity and coincidence that Keelan moved to this area right around the same time with his family. And um, when I met Keelan, he was just barely breaking ground at wavelength and um he asked me out on a date and the rest is history um no but he actually um invited both kelsey and i to come help him start wavelength farm and that was three years ago that's incredible and um actually you're you're on the line here with two other east coasters michelle's from pennsylvania and i'm, I'm from new york uh, yeah, yeah. New york. <laughs> Um, and Wavelength throws a unique range of uh, flowers from South Africa to Australia. Um, what inspired you to start growing, what inspired Wavelength and you to start growing flowers? Um, well, they really are just, yeah, the most amazing flowers. Um, so unique and such so amazing that they can grow in this um, coastal Mediterranean climate. Um, I had honestly never seen anything like it being from Vermont. Um, they don't grow there, let alone even in the growing season in the summer, because um, it's such a short growing season. So um, Keelan and his dad really turned me on to the Australian and South African flowers. And um, Keelan's dad, when they moved up here, started his own amazing Australian South African garden up at his property in Casper. And um, from there, we've been growing the farm and adding more of those plants to the wavelength property and through cuttings and through um, their friend um, down in Ojai, um, Australian natives. Um, yeah, I mean, I was just literally blown away the first time I saw these plants and how they took here on the coast and how much they've grown and become established in the past three years. Um, just how beautiful and unique they are. You don't really see flowers like this. Also just how they're a little bit tripped out by the Northern hemisphere because they're Southern hemisphere plants. 
So their peak flowering time is February um, through right about now through May and beginning of June. So it's been really, really incredible for us to work with these plants because that's like the hardest time of the year for us on the farm. It's like the startup costs are high. Um, not a lot is growing early in the spring. So now we have this amazing market for flowers. That's wonderful. And I love the story of, you know, you and Keelan meeting and then taking on this amazing project together. And then you guys have this beautiful farm, which is Wavelength, where you're growing all these incredible vegetables and now also flowers. And it is really cool that you can grow them in kind of the off season. And just for anyone who might not be familiar, could you name a couple of like what the flowers would breed? Like one that I'm familiar with is Protea. Could you give us a couple other examples? Yeah, the Protea family is amazing. Um, the pin cushions, which is the common name for one that a lot of people know. And then the king and the queen Protea. Um, Banksias are absolutely amazing. And and last forever um, in a bouquet, like last fresh for weeks and weeks and weeks and also dry really well. Um, Hakeas and grevilleas are two of my other favorites that do really well here on the coast and just look absolutely beautiful as cut flowers um, as well as leucodendrons. Yeah, I love getting your bouquets at the farmer's market because they're gorgeous and but then they dry and you can keep them as dry bouquets and they look beautiful. Yeah, yeah, that is really special. And it's funny because sometimes people are like, oh, I love these bouquets and like, I want to get another one, but my one from last week is still looking good. So I don't really need one. And we're like, well, maybe you need one for another room or like every room or... <laughs> <laughs> There's never too many flowers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I remember you all did, I think you're, you're doing farm to pizza and you had a flowers available at one point, right? Yeah, um, yeah. We, yes, exactly. Um, their garden is amazing there. And um, we were a part of that project as well. Those are majority South African and Australian plants there in their garden. And um, we have been bringing bouquets there as well to our farm stand there, yeah. And is there anything special in terms of growing the flowers that you guys have had to learn or is this, there a special type of farming that needs to be done to grow them? Um, I'd say that's another amazing thing about growing these plants is they don't really need high quality soil. Um, they are drought tolerant and they grow into these huge perennial bushes and trees and they love getting cut. It's almost like the more you cut them, the more they flower. So it's really just like a win-win. I mean, we love growing annual flowers as well and we're like diving deeper into that this season and we're gonna do more annual cut flowers, but it's that's like a lot more labor compared to planting and establishing these Australian and South Africans all around our property and not only romanticizing the property, but also being able to use it as a cut flower business. 
And do you guys have plans to expand and grow more, like try out new varieties and different, different types of flowers? Yeah, definitely. We are always looking for more varieties to plant. We are, we have been planting them all over the property this year. Um, I just spent this morning actually planting a few banksias, a eucalyptus, a hakea, and a grevillea that will get really big and re be really beautiful on this, um, right next to this platform deck at the farm that we hope to hold future events on. So, um, so yeah. Like, do you guys have any upcoming collaborations or plans for the future in regards to the flowers? Yeah, so we have a lot of amazing collaborations with amazing people around the community. Um, a lot of them are vegetable and fruit based, um, but um, Sage from Ficus and Fern mentioned Avita from Evelina Floral and she's going to be working with us and getting a bunch of flowers from us this season for weddings and for the pop-ups at Ficus and Fern. And um, yeah, as far as continuing to plant um, these flowers and get them established around the farm, um, like I mentioned, we're hoping to eventually, um, not too far out from here, host farm dinners and um, potentially uh, yoga classes. I'm also a yoga teacher on a deck that we have here. So we've just been like planting all sorts of beautiful Australian and South African flowers around it. And um, we have terrace apple trees right there that you'll be overlooking from the deck and a kiwi that's starting to vine up the side of the porch. And Kelsey just planted some jasmine on one side. So it will be, it will be really beautiful as it grows in. That sounds so lovely. Um, and how can our listeners learn more about Wavelength and uh, events and uh, collaborations that you have coming up? Yeah, um, Keelan is really on it with Instagram. He's very good at updating um, followers on Instagram. So that's Wavelength Farm. Um, and then we're, we have our farm stand at Cafe Beaujolais and um, we have a farm stand in Manchester and then we are at the Fort Bragg Farmer's Market and the Gualala Farmer's Market. So happy to talk to anybody that comes by to see us as well. Amazing. And I'm so impressed by you guys and what you've done in just a few years, like how you know far reaching you've gone into the community, that you're always coming up with new ideas. I'm so excited for the, the farm dinners and um, yeah, and I actually took a yoga class with you at Fortunate Farm when I first came to Fort Bragg. So um, that would be really exciting to, to be able to come and take one at Wavelength. Yeah, definitely. Thank you. Yeah, we're so excited. We're really, we're really going for it. And we really are just such creative people. So we're always bouncing ideas off of each other and just excited to keep growing and just keep going. <laughs> Well, Carly, Carly, y'all are so awesome. Uh, thank you so much for joining us again. And for folks who are just tuning in, you're listening to Putting Down Roots here on KZYX. Thank you, thank you Carly, so much. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. To learn more about Wavelength Farm, you can visit their website at wavelengthfarm.com. And you can also find them on Instagram at wavelengthfarm.
Next, I'd like to welcome Molly Barker to the show, Executive Director of the Mendocino Coast Botanical Gardens. Molly, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me here. Welcome, Molly. Um, so first, we'd like to get started uh, with some background. Can you tell us about what inspired you to get involved with horticulture and plants? Well, I've always, uh, really always been. I, uh, my grandmother was English and my grandfather was Dutch, so it's partially genetic. And I learned a lot from my grandfather and uh, then just continued on from there. I was lucky enough to even have greenhouses in the vegetable garden at my high school. So it was a natural. I went up to, I actually got my uh, plant science degree at uh, College of the Redwoods up in Eureka back many years ago. <laughs> and I, I think that really shows you a lot of, a lot of it is about early education, you know, making sure that youth have access to horticulture and after education. Um, how did you, totally. How did you come to be in Mendocino County and what attracted you to the gardens? Well, I've always loved the area, but um, the gardens was looking for an executive director. So I was lucky enough to actually move to a, to a job up here. It's very fortunate. So um, I love it here, but I've been in public gardens for gosh, almost 30 years, I guess. So it was really an opportunity to come and be part of the uh, Mendocino Coast Botanical Gardens. And how are the coast, the Mendocino Coast Botanical Gardens different than previous gardens that you had worked in? Um, very different, actually. Um, my the gardens that I've worked at uh, before were more formal. And uh, so I learned a lot about historic landscapes and so forth. And uh, of course, the uh, Mendocino is um, a very different kind of botanical garden in that it has designed areas up towards the front. And then we have some very important botanical collections. And then we've got vegetable garden. And then we've got uh, all the way out to the bluffs and the natural areas. So there's really a lot there to, uh, to enjoy and learn about. It's, it's really unique. It's, it's, to me, it's the, most, um, it's the most interesting botanical gardens that I've ever visited because you have that combination of, you have the manicured sections, you have the incredibly well-curated succulents and heathers, but then you have the wild element, you know, that goes yeah. into the coast. And I think that's what really makes the gardens, um, makes the gardens unique. Can you tell us a little bit about how the botanical gardens was founded initially? Well, initially, um, you know, it was, a, uh, it was farmed actually in the 1890s by the Parrish family. They grew potatoes there. But it became a botanical garden when the Schaefers, uh, Ernie and Betty, moved up from Southern California. And, and his dream was to start a botanical garden and to see how many different kinds of plants could grow in this climate. So that was 1961. And then in 1981, we became our own nonprofit public garden. So, um, so that 1981 is when that started and really it got so much support from the local nurserymen. We had a great number of uh, plant hybridizers and nurserymen and they uh, brought their plants over to the gardens and started seeing how those plants would do uh, at the gardens as well. So it really involved the community pretty much from the start once it became a uh, nonprofit. That's really interesting. So it was almost a little bit of an experiment to see what plants could be exactly. grown there. Yeah, and that's, that's reflected in our mission statement. It's to, uh, to display and conserve the plants that grow in, in our particular climate. 
And I know that the gardens, there's a really extensive collection of rhododendrons and camellias. Can you tell us a little bit more about what makes the gardens unique in terms of the collection? Oh, well, a number of things. Uh, the rhododendron collection, again, that reflects the uh, nurseries and the nurserymen that were in the area, yeah, but some great rhododendron nurseries. Um, we also were able to grow tender species rhododendrons, and that's not common at all. So we have a collection of tender species rhododendrons. We have a section that is just um, hybrids from the area. Most of them start with Noyo in their name, like Noyo Chief and Noyo Jim and so forth. And uh, so, and also they bloom from winter through, they're still blooming, you know, so a few more weeks and they'll pretty much be done. The camellia collection is really special. Um, most people are familiar with the camellia japonica and sasanqua and so forth. Those are the very ornamental ones. But in our collection, we have the most species camellias of any garden on the West Coast. And what that means is that they're camellias that would grow that way in nature, un, untouched by humans, you know, not made into big flashy flowers, but just their own, uh, their own species. And they're much more refined um, in a sense. I think, uh, I think they get overlooked because they aren't as showy, but it's a very special collection. And that a lot of those plants uh, came via Dan Charvet, who is a camellia uh, nurseryman hybridist in the area. And then the Heath and Heather collection, actually I should mention that, that's a nationally accredited collection. Um, what that means is that we uh, have been certified by the American Public Garden Association to have a, a very worthy collection and diversity. And also we have a commitment to sharing the plants through education and research with other uh, gardens. And then we've got a magnolia collection. I mean, I could go on and on about our collections. We've got uh, South African plants, Australian plants, Mediterranean, um, the, uh, you mentioned the succulents. Um, so there's something there for everyone. And an incredible vegetable garden. Yes. That's one of my favorite parts. Can you tell us a little bit about, about that? Yeah, the, uh, the vegetable garden is really special. As you know, it's also ornamental as well as being productive. And um, we grow about, seven, last year was about 7,500 pounds of fresh produce for the food bank. And so it's one of the, um, few places it is giving them uh, free, of course, uh, organic produce, and it's, uh, it's favored by the clients. That's incredible that, um, you know, you guys are working with the food bank and the gardens do a lot to give back to the community, which we're going to touch on, but I just wanted to highlight one of the um, main attractions, which is the Dahlia Garden, which a lot of people you were saying even plan their trips around to come yeah, and see. Yeah, we have a few people who plan their vacation so that they'll be there for the dahlias. Um, and it is spectacular. It's, they're spectacular. There's over 200, I think, dahlias in there. And uh, Jim Slary, one of our um, gardeners, and I have the gardening staff at, at the gardens, is, uh, they're great. And Jim's very innovative with tools. And so you can imagine trying to deadhead 200 dahlias when they're blooming their heads off every day. And he's created a Dahlia vacuum. He uh, outfitted <laughs> a shop back so that it can just scoop up the petals. And uh, it even has a little blade on it so it can cut the stem. <laughs> so um, it's uh, well tended. It's our favorite, the Dahlia Garden's the favorite place for weddings too. Mm. Yeah. And that the bloom time for the August 
August, September, October are the best months for the Dahlia Garden. And uh, what programs are you currently offering? I know Michelle told me she did yoga at the gardens uh, last Saturday. Um, what else are you guys offering now? Well, yeah, we're doing, the yoga is fairly new and we're doing it on Sundays. Um, a Sunday, excuse me. Yeah, on Sundays. And uh, we have all kinds of things going on. Oh my goodness. Um, we have Sprouts, which is a free program for families. We started it as things were starting to open up, but people needed to be in their bubbles. We created it for families to be able to do something together out in the natural environment instead of the kids having to sit at a screen for their education. And that's been pretty popular. Uh, we've been giving uh, free passes through the Fort Bragg um, School District and other, um, other outlets. And, uh, but the, even visitor, visiting families who just kind of show up and don't know about the program can utilize it. Things like um, color matching. So we have different age groups that these uh, programs are um, designed for. And the color matching is one of my favorite because it's for youngsters, four and five and then up. And we got a bunch of color swatches and we put them on a ring uh, and people can go around, the kids can go around and match simple colors with the flowers and the stems and the uh, trunks and everything else of the, of the plants. And it was funny when we were trying it out, uh, we had Fiona, uh, one of our gardener's daughters out there to take a picture of her using it and so forth. And before you knew it, it's like, half the staff was out there with their little color swatches, walking around, matching them up and ooing and aahing over it. So um, that's pretty fun. We also have, um, as far as sprouts goes, we have tree identification, bird watching, uh, whale watching, and um, that sort of thing. So that's ongoing. We also, um, as far as educational programs, we're starting to work with big picture learning and they have a program uh, curriculum looking, it's called Dive Deep into the Pomo plant tradition. So um, we're working with them on some projects and that's very good. We're working with um, Mendocino Coast Children's Funds to, they're going ahead and distributing tickets to their clients, family, not tickets, excuse me, family memberships. Um, as far as those are the educational things, but we've got a lot of other things going on. Uh, symphony at the gardens, the uh, Redwood Symphony has uh, offered to come and play music on um, three Sundays in uh, the summer here. So that ought to be fun on the event lawn and that's no additional admission for that. We have um, Art in the Gardens coming up. It's gonna be a very different Art in the Gardens. I know uh, the community is accustomed to one day, lots of vendors, lots of music, lots of food. But this year we're spreading it out over a few days. It's not special admission this year. Um, and there'll still be music, there'll still be food, and there'll still be some vendors, but it'll be spread out a lot more. It was hard to tell, you know, you start, you start um, planning these events months and months in advance. And I know it's been for everyone, you know, the uh, music festival, film festival, all of us have had to kind of scramble to think creatively about how we can do some of our traditional events. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I've, I've really seen that in the nonprofit community is exactly, people are either had to make everything virtual um, or they're adapting and figuring out how to make it work. And I, I think it's, you know, in a way a silver lining is 
unfortunate to not be able to do one big weekend event, but kind of cool to be able to do a series of events or a summer long of events. Mm -hmm. so. Well, yeah, and the thing, yeah, that is the silver lining with the whole pandemic that we've been through is people are being creative and thinking of doing things differently. And, and uh, that's, that's uh, healthy. That's a very good thing. And we've been especially proud to be a resource for the community during this time. You know, we're actually seeing people's use of the garden kind of changing a bit. Um, instead of just walking around, you know, doing a loop and seeing, you know, seeing what they want to see, people are coming with books and picnics. And uh, I, there was even a woman that I just loved her out on the event lawn. She had her boom box and she was dancing away doing the Isadora Duncan thing. And so it's, uh, it's really nice to see people using the garden that way. It is, it's such a great idea. It's like on a nice day, why not take a book and just go hang out and read or draw? And I know that you were actually saying you guys are gonna be offering some workshops. That's right, Art in the Gardens that weekend, we will have a number of workshops, including nature sketching. Um, there's going to be a uh, paper collage workshop with Sandy Oppenheimer. Um, there are going to be a number of things. There's pine basket needle weaving um, and so forth. And we also have other workshops um, in addition to what's happening at Art in the Gardens. So, and we, we seem to, it seems to be kind of a direction we're going in is, is art, but through the lens of nature in that we want people to really um, expand their observational skills and that's kind of where we're going with education too. We want it to be very experiential. And instead of a class where maybe I'm telling you what insects we have on site, instead it's like go out and take pictures of these insects and, and figure out what they are through iNaturalist. And then you come tell us what insects we have. And um, so that, that's, that's a fun activity too. I love it and it's the intersection of sciences and art and, and nature that's so mm -hmm. unique. Um, can you tell us about uh, your membership program and what that includes? Um, my fiance and I are about to renew our membership and we're so excited and, and I'm sure there's a lot of people that would be interested. Can you give us some background on what you get as a member? Yeah, well, our memberships are really, really popular and for locals, I don't see any reason why you wouldn't. <laughs> you I wouldn't just renewed mine. <laughs> it pays for itself so quickly. And also the members don't need to make reservations. We have a reservation online system now. Um, that's a result of, of COVID. Um, but members can, don't need to make reservations. They can come in anytime. There's the hour of nine to 10 in the morning that is members only. There's a, a reciprocal arrangement with a whole bunch of public gardens all over the United States. So that if you have a membership at the Botanical Gardens, you can go to um, Santa Barbara Botanic Garden, um, lots just there's a long list so that makes it worthwhile too so we do have a lot of people who live outside the state who also support the gardens through membership and you also get discounts on plants right that's correct at the nursery and the store i believe it's 10 percent yeah and like you said molly i mean if you go visit a couple of times your membership has already paid for itself Right. And, you know, and if you are utilizing it as a space that you can go and sit and read or just go for a really nice walk, then it's totally worth it. And you also get a discount in the gift shop, right? Yes. Yes, you do. And um, yeah, I mean, it's it's a uh, you can walk your dog, for mm -hmm. instance, 
And a lot of people do, they walk their dogs every day. And uh, so that's, that's one of the fun things. Actually going back to working at formal gardens, that was one of the things that amazed me when I was, because formal gardens tend to have a lot of rules, you know, because it's historic, got to keep it that way. Don't walk on the lawn, don't eat food, don't pick the apples. And then I come for my interview here and I'm seeing people walking their dogs and they're having a picnic and, you know, it just all these crazy things. And I'm looking over the shoulder of somebody who's interviewing me. It's the second day of abalone season. And I see these guys walk by, you know, in, in wetsuits carrying, you know, <laughs> fins and stuff. And it just was like, huh, this is going to be really different. Welcome to Mendocino. Welcome to Mendocino. Well, I know you had mentioned, Molly, that another thing in regards to the comparison to formal gardens is that a lot of botanical gardens um, are broken up by like region or geographically. And the Mendocino Coast Botanical Gardens actually are different. They're not devised yeah. that way. Yeah, a classic, a classic botanic garden does. It arranges itself around plants of a certain region or plants of a certain genus or family um, or Mediterranean plants or, you know, very specific focus. And quite frankly, the garden, those botanic gardens have gotten a lot better at it. But uh, a while ago, it wasn't display, wasn't necessarily a big, uh, you know, up at the top of the list. So um, having a garden like our garden, where the purpose is to grow plants really well, and uh, have them for education and to teach about conservation allows us to really um, be free. It's very liberating. <laughs> Plans for the future is we are um, excited about expanding into this more experiential learning. Um, and we're really interested in looking at the big picture. I think that uh, public gardens have a obligation to talk about climate change and uh, conservation and how important it is. And, you know, they say that uh, you don't, uh, you don't save what you don't care about and you don't care about what you don't know. So you need to get people out to really see nature, observe nature, feel nature, and then you will care and then you will help save it. <laughs> so that's kind of where we're going with it. Education is so essential. It actually reminds me of um, uh, during the New Deal, after the after the Great Depression, during the um, uh, the Works Progress Administration, building state parks across the country. That was the whole concept. You know, it's like how do folks know that we need to conserve and protect our public lands and wildlife if they can't get there? You know, right. so access right. is so important in education, um, and you all are on the front line getting education out to people. And especially um, because you offer such accessible programs, affordable memberships, you're working with local schools to make sure that Latinx communities are able to enjoy the gardens as well. Um, are there any other upcoming programs or workshops or anything else that you'd like to tell our listeners about? Well, actually, there's one of our, our fundraiser thingies that's really uh, fun. We have a group called FOG, which is Friends of the Garden, and they're a very creative group. Um, and they do things for us to raise money. And one that they do annually is a birdhouse auction. And they uh, take uh, a model of a birdhouse and they go in and uh, decorate it with all, all manner of things. And this year the auction is online. So you can go right now even to the uh, website and look up the birdhouse auction and put in your bids and 
it's really kind of fun. You can actually get into competition with people about uh, who's going to get the birdhouse. And it's a fundraiser for the gardens, which we really rely on. Nonprofits rely on public support. That is the, that is the thing. So we will do as well as our community supports us, really. And the community has been very good with us. We love being part of the community. And uh, of course, we're, we're working on um, Festival of Lights. <clears throat> That's going to be interesting. We may have to do, you know, make some changes with that as well. We just don't quite know completely what the future brings. But we are excited about being able to do it again. But I think we all missed it last year. And so how can our listeners stay up to date with what's happening at the gardens and learn about upcoming events, find out about memberships? Well, we have, we have a really great website. I mean, it's really updated often. We all uh, have had the experience of looking at a website that's completely stale, but uh, Roxanne Perkins is kind of the person who keeps it up to date and she does an excellent job. So that's uh, gardenbythesea.org is where our website is. And then also um, we have a presence on social media on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, but the website's where, where it all is, you know, membership information, events. We even have lists of our plant collections. So if you wanna know if we have a particular rhododendron, you can find that out on our website. Wonderful. And I definitely recommend that folks follow the Instagram account, the Mendocino Botanical Gardens. It's really, really incredible. Um, yeah, there's such beautiful photos on there and, and even sharing photos that people take in the gardens that other people take, which is really cool. Yeah. Molly, thank you so, so much for joining us today. Sure, it was fun. Yeah, this has been so informative and it's really exciting to learn the history or learn, learn more about a place that we already know and really appreciate. So thank you so much for taking the time. You're welcome. You're listening to Putting Down Roots here on KZYX. We've been talking about plants and botanicals with Molly Barker, Executive Director of the Mendocino Botanical Gardens, Sage Anderson from Ficus and Fern, and Carly Daniel from Wavelength Farm. Thank you again to our wonderful guests for joining us today. It's been so awesome to learn more about all the work you're doing to bring life and vitality to our community. A quick announcement, the Small Business Administration, SBA, is currently offering grants to restaurants, theaters, and venues that have been impacted by the pandemic. Visit sba.gov for more information. And join us on July 1st at 3 p.m. for our next show. If you'd like to hear our show from today, please check out kzyx.org and go to the jukebox page. Or you can also find uh, KZYX on Spotify under KZYX Public Affairs. And if you have an idea for a topic that you'd like us to feature, if you'd like to be, or if you'd like to be a guest on our show, please send us a message to our Instagram account, and that's at puttingdownroots.kzyx. Again, at puttingdownroots.kzyx. Or you can send us an email at phoenixphoenix at evolvedgrowthstrategies.com. We're always looking for new ways to highlight creative individuals and organizations uh, bringing life and a wonderful programming here to our county. Thank you for tuning in and have a lovely night.
This has been a production of KZYX Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM, Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. You can check out our website at kzyx.org to find more content like this, and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thanks for listening.